Hi. Hello. I am Marissa, a teen librarian. And I am Mary, a teen librarian. And we are here to talk about books. What kind of books? Young adult, middle grade, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQIA+, and more. Come jam with us. On the Book Jam. And don't forget to follow us on our socials. We have a Twitter account and an Instagram. They are both the Book Jam 1. Because apparently the Book Jam was taken. So we are the Book Jam 1. Not the number one. You spell it out because we're librarians. We're smart. <laughs> SMRT to quote The Simpsons. Um, which y'all probably don't listen to because that's old. And I'm an old. And it's all right. Uh, I feel like be an elder, Mary. Every day I'm the meme of Steve Buscemi with a skateboard. Hello, fellow youths. Uh, it is totally fine. So we got a special guest here today. Um, we'd like to welcome Samantha Lee. Hey, Sam. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How about you? Great. And so we brought Sam on because we were talking about Banned Books Week, which is coming up. And Sam, would you like to talk about why we brought you on? Like, why you're so cool? <laughs> Am I so cool? I think I'm totally not. We think you're um, cool. We do. <laughs> Thinking that you're not cool makes you cool. <gasps> oh. Like that reverse fun. I love it. It's so meta. Um, so I am the intellectual freedom chair for the Connecticut Library Association. And what that means is I talk about banned books. I help librarians and libraries when they're dealing with challenges. And uh, yeah, we love banned books and we love reading it and we want to celebrate it. Awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> You didn't think you were, but you're like wicked cool. Now, we t- our audience is comprised of teens, adults, adults, teens, everybody, librarians, non-librarians, people. And I know from my personal life working with teens and are living with humans, when I talk about banned books, people get confused about what it is. And when I make my annual banned books display, they're like, wait, the Hunger Games is banned from the Avon library right now? And I'm like, no, it's, wait, it's just, so we wanted to do a quick little backup and kind of explained for a quick second, what is Banned Books Week? It's put on by the American Library Association, usually in the September. This month, or this year, it is from September 26th to October 2nd. And this is pretty much celebrating the freedom to read. We want to spotlight current and historical attempts to censor books in libraries and schools. It brings together the entire book community, librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, readers of all types, and a shared support of the freedom to seek and also express ideas, even those some consider unorthodox or unpopular. This year's theme is Books Unite Us, Censorship Divides Us. Um, Sharing stories is important to us. It means it's sharing part of ourselves. Books reach across boundaries and build connections between readers, and censorship, on the other hand, creates barriers. The books featured during Banned Books Week have all been targeted for removal or restriction in libraries and schools. By focusing our efforts across the country to remove or restrict access to books, Banned Books Week draws national attention to the harms of censorship. That's a lot of talking. Mary, what's a ban and a challenge? That still sounds confusing. I know. Um, So I'll start with the small one. So the challenge is when a book is, I mean, this sounds lame. <laughs> when it, challenge is when a book is challenged in a school system or a public library. And so someone has actually filled out the form. Half the time they don't fill out the paperwork because there's a form if you want to do a challenge. Um, and they're saying like why they think this book should be removed. Um, and so the challenge, often the book isn't actually removed from the shelves. It's just like, okay, this book was challenged. Uh, a ban means the book was removed from the shelves. And I feel like I mean, I could just be going on my gut. Sam probably has the metrics on this. 
bans are more likely to happen in a school pub, in a school library than in they are in a public library. Um, yeah. Just with the nature of like how uh, education curriculum and mm-hmm. parents get involved in things, um, as opposed to the public library, which is kind of has a little bit more room to breathe with these types of ideas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think like challenges. Uh, more often result in bans at schools, um, in curriculums, and on reading lists. It's so weird. They'll decide that, oh no, this book um, should not be on this reading list. And so they'll remove it from the reading list. And more often than not, public libraries will take that as a cue to be like, we need this book on our shelves. It might be off the reading list from the school. It might be uh, like removed from like required reading to suggested reading, um, like and then buried at the bottom of the list. But then, uh, so like it might not be available at the school library, but it will most definitely then be available at the public library. Yeah, and then it also kind of depends on the public or the, excuse me, the school librarian. Because I remember um, when my brother was in high school in the '80s in our small rural Georgia town. Um, like the Ken Follett, like I had the needle books, like got challenged, and like the parents went to the school board and made a big deal because again, I grew up in North Georgia, so we have a lot more evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you would say I don't want to call it activism, but voices uh, uh, thinking about what's best in schools. And she didn't actually like she let the parents think the books were banned, but she actually had them behind the desk. And the students that were huge yes. readers knew this, and so then she would just check them out to them. That's um, fantastic. Because that's how my yeah. brother like read through all those Ken Follett books, which was the favorite author of his for years. And um, so yeah, so you you have like like I guess you would say like the rogue school librarian that will do those types of things or be like, I'll just keep the gay books behind the shelf or behind the desk and like nobody knows. But the kids who need mm-hmm. it know, find out. Because there's yeah. always a whisper network. And also I think one of the things that um adults don't realize is when you start banning and challenging books, all of a sudden the kids are like, even kids that don't read are like, I want to read that book. Because there must yep. be something like so taboo about it that ah, it must be good. So we had that problem um, in Colchester uh, when 13 Reasons Why came out because the school parents got really upset. It actually wasn't when the book came out. It's when the Netflix series came out. Okay. Yes. That's when people all of a sudden were like, oh, my goodness. Um, and the book is very different from the series, which we all know. Um, and so they didn't actually get banned from the school. It did get challenged. Um, but like, I know the middle school librarian, I think, and I might be speaking out of turn, like use it as an example of like, all right, like let's bring the school counselors in, let's have a talk. Like what does mental illness look like? Should you be looking out for your friends? So it actually ended up opening this community, um, like talk with the students that they probably may not have had. Um, okay. so it was great. And then like, it never stayed on our shelf for like a year and a half because it always went out and that book just sat there before the challenge. So mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. Controversy can be really good for advertising. It really can. I love it. All right. Are we ready to talk books? Let's get into it. And by the way, I know we're going to mention like a million other banned books anyway. So book recommendations are always a good thing, Sam, because our listeners love recommendations. So please, always. And I guarantee you both your school library and your public library is definitely going to have a display out. So you have lots to choose from coming up at the end of this month. Yes. All right. So. I'm going to kick it off. My book, the first book we're going to talk about is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. This was actually not a new book, as we probably actually all know about it. It was published way back in September uh, 2015. I'm going to say recommended for grade seven plus. A lot of reviewers and publishers actually agree age 12 to 18. 
adults should definitely read this. Um, the publisher is Athenaeum slash Caitlin Dooley Books, um, but it does fall under Simon & Schuster. So let's kick it off with the publisher book blurb. What do they say? Rashad is absent again today. That's the sidewalk graffiti that started it all. Well, no, actually a lady tripping over Rashad at the store, making him drop a bag of chips was what started it all. Because it didn't matter what Rashad said next, that it was an accident, that he wasn't stealing. The cop just kept pounding on him over and over, pummeling him into the pavement. So then Rashad, an ROTC kid with mad art skills, was absent again and again, stuck in a hospital room. Why? Because it looked like he was stealing and he was a black kid in baggy clothes. So he must have been stealing. And that's how it started. And that's what Quinn, a white kid, saw. He saw his best friend's older brother beating the daylights out of a classmate. At first, Quinn doesn't tell a soul. He's not even sure he understands it and doesn't even matter. The whole thing was caught on camera anyway. But when the school and nation starts to divide on what happens, blame spreads like wildfire fed by ugly words like racism and police brutality. Quinn realizes he's got to understand it because, bystander or not, he's a part of history. He just has to figure out what side of history that will be. Rashad and Quinn, one black, one white, both American, face the unspeakable truth that racism and prejudice didn't die after the civil rights movement. There's a future at stake, a future where no one else will have to be absent because of police brutality. They just have to risk everything to change the world because that's how it can end. That's a big, long book publisher blurb. That's a big blurb. It is, but I feel like you do have to explain it even before I get I start saying it. A lot of times we're way shorter, but we have two main characters and that's, oh, I don't want to forget content warnings. Um, fairly brief because they're big, broad topics. Assault, police brutality, racism, microaggressions, obviously macroaggressions, um, and definitely lots of cursing. But again, no real romance. And we know most people are fine with cursing and violence, no sexuality. So what is this book really about-ish? This book is a lot of things. It's actually a pretty quick book. It has two main characters. So we have dual narratives and Brendan Riley, or Brendan Kiley writes about Quinn, the white boy, and Jason Reynolds writes about Rashad, the black boy. This is a hundred million percent a character-driven book. It's they could not have written it if they didn't go deep into making characters complex with different um, motivations. Um it's so good. Everybody has their own history. Everybody has their own thing. They're trying to influence Rashad to do something. Everybody has their own influence trying to influence Quinn to do something. Um, there's two team boys. One's white, one's black. They live kind of in a city. I imagine somewhere, I think it might've been Springfield, Massachusetts, possibly not sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's the, it's such a good book for discussing. Um, I listened to or watched a couple good YouTubes um, about the authors talking about the generation of this book. And both authors actually have an incident when they were high schoolers uh, driving around in cars. Jason talks about he was one of four kids in a car, a passenger driving in like 1998, an old cruddy Nissan. None of the kids at the time he was talking to knew were alive or knew what kind of car he was talking about. And they took a left on a yellow light after school during the daylight afternoon and a cop pulled them over. And they talked about how all the black kids have had the talk. Yes, sir. No, sir. Hands on the wheel. And they couldn't find the registration. And the one 
he said this, the one stupid friend you have in the back, they were searching for the registration, found it and like opened the mini, it was a minivan, opened the minivan door. And then they also, the cop had gun drawn. And before they knew it, they all were face down on their bellies. Um, the cops ripped through the car, looking for drugs, looking for guns. Um, they didn't find anything and they just were let off. Oh, by the way, there was a three or four more cop cars called and nothing was found. And then they were let go because they couldn't find anything. The other author, Brendan, had a similar but different, very different experience where he was in high school driving with friends and he was driving 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. And the cops pulled him over, one cop, and they couldn't find the registration either. All these people don't know. He didn't even know what a registration was. It's just like, what? The cop kind of read him the right act of like, how do you not know what your registration is? But he let him off with a warning. Nobody was face down on the pavement totally different repercussions where he actually did break the law. Ration and his friends didn't technically break the law. You can go on a yellow. So that was our generation. And then when Trayvon Martin happened, both the authors, two strangers were on an author tour together. And Jason talks about how, I don't, you can't just open up to a white man on a book tour. It was, he was feeling a lot of things emotionally. Um, but then he soon found out that Brendan, the other author was actually really open and to talking and they talked about it and then more and more shootings and police brutality incidents happened and they decided to try to book it together about it because that's what they wanted to do they wanted to start a conversation which is really what this book is about this book whether you believe oh that kid is guilty that kid is innocent blue lives matter i don't think this this book is perfect for starting a conversation it should be on high school curriculums if it's not um because you can find yourself in different characters. English teachers can go a million different ways. It just starts a conversation because the worst thing you can do is just not talk about it. It's to just ignore it. Oh, this incident happens. Well, that just happens. Let's move on. Let's not talk about it. Um, it if you ignore the fact that racism exists, then yeah, it's going to keep existing. It's a very successful system that will keep going unless you talk and you change. And this was something that authors were very glad to go on book tours and talk about um, because there's a lot of emotions with this and they have their own fictional event. This is very much a fictional event, even though there's a lot of other similar ones and they knew they couldn't write with a 30 year old main character, not just because it's a teen book, but because who are most of the people who are getting shot or killed or something's happening to with police brutality but teenagers, oftentimes black teenagers. So this is a book that's highlighting an unwelcome truth about racism and prejudice because it's alive and well. And this is their attempt in their own way to try and do something to help stop it. Why do I like this book? I obviously like it because I picked it. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to limit it to three main reasons, blanket umbrella bullet points, um, is that this book does talk about mental health. Uh, it's not just the physical beating that Rashad takes. It's that he gets, he's emotionally and mentally affected. Even after he gets out of the hospital, there's an incident where um, he's startled by something and he starts to exhibit PTSD, some symptoms of ducking and just having that racing panic of that could happen again. And no matter what, this fictional character is forever changed or something that's gone from him, that some sort of peace, even knowing that he was a black kid in a neighborhood where that these things could happen, there's that sense something has gone that he won't ever quite get back again. Um, that's oftentimes I feel like sometimes ignored. Uh, and it's just not it's not just a physical, like the doctors tell him, we reset your broken nose, it's never gonna look the same. But the way that it what things that won't show are his emotional and and mental state that it's it's not 
he's never going to be quite the same again. Quinn, our other main character, also goes through something. He is the witness. He's a bystander. Um, No one really knows that he is. He tells two of his friends um, and he tells a couple other people, but he could have been, he could have just gone back in the shadows and not said anything. So that's his choice. He didn't want to watch the video footage that goes viral. It's not from him. He is not the viral video person, which I feel like in a social media way, oh yeah, he found it. He wanted to be a social justice warrior. He wanted to post it. No, he could have just crept away. It would have been easier because the police officer that did it to Rashad is actually a pseudo father figure to him. It's his best friend's older brother. So that's complicated. Um, where he's literally asking himself, can I walk away? from this atrocity and pretend he hasn't seen what he's seen, who are the voices trying to influence him either way. And there's some very influential, persuasive speakers. Um, another really great microcosm is the basketball team. Rashad's not on the basketball team. Quinn is. And so is uh, the police officer's younger brother, black characters, white characters. This is like a microcosm of the world of high school. And the coach is one of my least favorite characters. He's right up there with the police who, crazily beat Rashad. Why? Because he is the person who wants to ignore it. He's the person that, yes, he's like, guys, leave all this stuff outside of the court. We got scouts coming. We got to go to state. We got this championship. Keep your head straight. When we're on the court, do it. You just have to, you're all fine. Let's ignore it. And the the coach is like, don't go to parties. Don't do this. Which are not bad high school advice, but he wants them to ignore it. And it can't. It's, and Quinn thinks about this and he's and all these all these things start happening where tensions from off the court creep into the court when Quinn starts taking a stand. His teammate, the brother of the police officer, doesn't he's like, What are you doing, man? Why aren't you supporting me? And then so some physical altercations actually happen and the coach is just being willfully ignorant that you could like, yeah, leave it off. This is totally fine. So this is it's such it's supports why we need to talk about it. And this book also talks about loyalty. Like was really focuses on Quinn for this part because you should be loyal. They do, they do. We never get the police officer's perspective, which I'm glad because I don't really want his direct point of view. But the closest we get is Quinn who views him as a sympathetic male figure. He's almost like the uncle father figure. Quinn's dad died in Afghanistan. There's a lot of complications from that. Um, but yeah, it, he does. He loves this guy, but then he sees him in a different way of how could you, how they, it's so frustrating. The facts matter, but the facts don't matter to the police officer's family and friends. They're like, he does a tough job. If he goes out there every day and does these things for the good of the community, and we need to respect him, we need to love him, and we need to support him at this time, when they're not really concerned about the facts. In this fictional setting, there's a video that shows um, the police officer you know, physically beating on the kid. We find out they didn't read any rights. That There's just blatantly a lot of assumptions going on. So, and is it okay to physically be a minor for the potential theft of a bag of chips? Is that the response that we need? So there's so much room for discussion here. I really want people to read this. And again, I do want to say the audiobook is fantastic. You get great narrators on both perspectives. And I really, really would love everybody to read this book. It's a great start off point for so many conversations that we need to have. Speaking of conversations we need to have, Mary, Sam, what do you think? Have you read this? What are your thoughts? Okay, so no, I haven't read it yet. It's been on my list because we know my to be read pile is huge. Yes. But yeah, I know it was a former nutmeg. I can't remember if it was for seventh and eighth grade or for high school. It was for high school. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm all for these books because I feel like the more that we get, the more nuance we get with those books as well. Like, I feel like this sounds really weird. 
this is me coming as a librarian at this. Uh, so you get like an initial push of books on the subject. And then the ones that come out after the hate you give and the hate you give is amazing. I'm not saying it's not, but we get like more nuance into the conversation. Like would this book have been published before the hate you give came out kind of thing. Yeah. So that way we can have even more in-depth conversations. And I think the hardest thing to reconcile with a lot of this is what you're talking about is that people can have bad ideas and do bad things but also maybe how parts of them that are not so bad, but it's like hard to see past that once they've done the horrible racist thing um, because people are complicated and books often can be too, two dimensional and adult books on race can often be too, two dimensional too. And so to have a book that has this much depth and layers to it, I think is great because it really does open the conversation much, much wider. Like you're talking about. Sam, what do you think? Uh, I haven't read it either, yeah, but what you mentioned about like um, the compartmentalizing that the coach is talking about, like, oh, the, you're going, you're going on the court. You just have to play the game. You don't have to worry about anything else. These are your teammates. It's these tensions of loyalties and then tensions of like compartmentalizing racism and your experience with it. And like what responsibility, what responsibilities do we have to compartmentalizing it? Or do we take a moment to break down all those barriers and look at the intersectionality of it? And what obligations do we have to our teammates? What obligations do we have to family? Um, can we call out that behavior? And like, what responsibilities are there? It's a great way to start the conversation um, on a, on in imagine land. That's what books are. It's imaginary. But it takes from real life. And that's really important to read about these experiences and struggle with it. And yeah, the book can be a bad example of how to deal with the situation. Or it could be like, okay, it's a cautionary tale. Like, that was not the way to handle that. Yeah. But what would the fallout have been if you handled it separately or in a different way? And like, can you imagine that? Um, yeah, that's. It is on my to-be-read read pile and, yeah, my ever-growing pile. Uh, but I also love Jason Reynolds, so I'll, I'll, I'll read anything he writes. Right. Legit. Legit. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I wasn't saying racism is good. I was trying to say racism is bad. Sam just said that so much smarter than I did. I just really, <laughs> people are complicated. So I think also, like, being, like, more liberal and then having family members also that are more conservative coming from the South, like, I am conflicted because, like, I love them, but I do not love how they vote. I do not love the things they talk about on social media. And so it's hard. So I, I totally understand that. And, like, yeah, like you said, Sam, like, when is it okay to call out? Like, you should just call out all the time. But at the same time, you have to do it in a way that you can have a conversation. And so it's not just, like, a shut door. And I'm like, well, that's, that's an odd thing to say. Let's unpack that a little. Um <laughs> That's been my new response when I hear things. I'm just like, wow, that's a weird, let's talk about that. So, um, and sometimes that goes places and sometimes it doesn't, but here we are. So, I think yes. a lot of times in like right now, you're going to get a lot of shouting at each other and you're not changing each other's like I, ideology. It's like, no, I, I am this, I am that. There's nowhere in between. And this book, if there, there's no perfect situation for any like police brutality thing of like well this kid was the rotc kid he he did this he did that um they try to present a kid that you know he dressed in baggy clothes is that a crime is it a crime to wear a sweatshirt is it a crime to have skittles in your pocket people have gotten killed for less um he had his rotc 
uniform in his bag that was clearly open and he didn't actually do anything. There was a lady that tripped over him and then made him fall. The bag fell, but people will blame everything. You shouldn't have worn this. You shouldn't have done that. And oh, there is a really great character in there. I don't want to give away too much. Um, a family member of Rashad's that is very much an assimilationist. Like you need to believe in the protection of the military ROTC. Don't dress right. Don't dress like one of those air quote thugs. Um, so that family member, I, I want you to read it. So I won't say who, uh, almost kind of blames it's victim blaming a little bit. Like you need, you know, what we've been taught, you know, we've had the talk, you know, what should be happening and what happens when that someone you love so dearly is just saying, you're not, you're not enough. You can't just be you. You have to, you have to try and fit in with what they want you to be. And should you have to, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this stinks, but, but yes, it's a really good book. I think to start off our conversation for banned books week, Mary, your book is totally different. What is your book? Cool. So I read Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan. Um, I have been trying to read this book for years. I've been putting it on banned book displays forever. Uh, it is great. It has a very eye-catching cover. It often gets challenged and banned just because of the cover, uh, which is actually Two Boys Kissing. Uh, and I'll talk about <laughs> more about that in a minute. Uh, so the intended grade, so if you look at the publisher information, uh, it says nine and up, but School Library Journal actually says seven and up. And I agree with that. Because it's pretty, it's uh, it's a it's a little bit on the smaller side of a book, um, and it's very the way it's written too. Um, one of the reasons I love about uh, David uh, Lefthen is that you kind of never know what you're going to get with him, and he likes to change his writing styles a whole lot. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, let's see, it was published in, by Alfred A. Knopf in August of 2013. Uh, and the book summary is the two boys kissing are Craig and Harry. They're hoping to set the world's record for the longest kiss. They're not a couple, but they used to be. Peter and Neil are a couple. Their kisses are different. Avery and Ryan have only just met and are trying to figure out what happens next. Both of them are worrying that something will go wrong. Cooper is alone. It's getting to the point where he doesn't really feel things anymore. These boys, along with their friends and families, form a tapestry that will reveal love of all kinds, open and eager, tentative and cautious, pained and scared. New York Times bestselling author David Lefton has sewn together their lives in a redemptive whole that will captivate, illuminate, and move readers. Uh, I cried when I finished this book. Um, I teared up a couple different times. Um, I'll actually read a section that I marked when I talk about why I love this book. Um, so one of the things that makes this interesting, uh, oh, sorry, before I get too far, uh, content warning, obviously homophobia, uh, bullying, depression. There's a mention of disordered eating, but it doesn't go into detail. It's just um, something one of the kids has gone through. Uh, partly before he came out and trying to figure out his his whole identity. Um, and also uh, there's mention of suicide uh, and possibility of an attempted suicide. But I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil the book. Um, I also looked up like why this book was challenged. So it's on ALA's top 10 list of challenged books in 2015, 2016, and 2018. So it often gets challenged for its depictions of, you guessed it, gayness. <laughs> or as... <laughs> Or is the straits when they write reports homosexuality, uh, references to sex and kissing, and it was burned in 2019 by religious activists. So I'm not going to mention the activist's name because I don't feel like we should give trolls more spotlight than we need to. Yeah. Um, the hilarious part is the dude that burned the book. He burned three other books that were children's books, like picture books. 
he checked them out from his local library (laughs) and he filmed it on YouTube and streamed it. So they actually have evidence of him destroying like public library property. So he got charged with like a misdemeanor and then had to pay a fine. I'm sure the library probably (laughs) never got that money back and they probably just replaced the books. No worse. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's, that's, that's the main thing. And the thing about it is, is like the book does mention sex. but They don't really talk about sex that much. They talk a lot about kissing because obviously two boys are kissing for like over 32 hours and some change. Um, So what is this book about? Um, So it's narrated by a Greek chorus of AIDS victims. So this is a generation of men that have lost their lives in the HIV epidemic from the 80s and early 90s before um, the cocktail drug was available that saved a lot of people. Um, David Lethen was also inspired by one of his uncles is actually a survivor. Um, So he got the cocktail right in time. So he's I don't know if he's still alive, but like he's definitely lived past the the expectancy for that generation of gay men. Uh, he's also kind of like the generation that grew up in between the HIV epidemic and the generation that's talked about in this book. So the book is like the early aughts kids that have access to cell phones and social media. Because this plays a big part in the book. Um, and so the Greek chorus kind of stands as like the watchers of these gay kids and like it's heartbreaking at times because they talk about their lives and their first loves and their first kisses. And then also like how much heart and love they have for these kids that are just trying to live their lives and how they understand them. And like when things go bad, they want to reach out to them, but they can't because they're just ghosts in the past. Um, It's so good. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, uh, you will study it at some point. They will make you a Greek chorus acts in um, (laughs) Greek plays as like the chorus kind of keeps the narrative moving. So if like you kind of get lost, they reiterate like things that are going on with the plot in the play. So that's what our our narrative does for this. So as they're narrating it, we meet Harry and Craig. They were a couple. Harry's family is super, super supportive. Craig's family doesn't know that he's gay. Guess what they're going to find out while they're trying to break their world record? <laughs> um, and they're you get the impression they're like in a small rural town somewhere, or like maybe it's suburban, but it's not like a big suburb. Um, and the reason why they're doing this is because their friend Tariq um, was uh, he's black and gay, and then he was targeted after like leaving a movie theater one night in a different town. And these boys at first he thought they were beating him up because he's black, and then they start yelling fag. A faggot, um, which are words you should never use. And um, he basically was beaten for being gay. Uh, and so, and he's, and there's the whole line about it, which I totally sympathize with, which is like, how did they know? Like, I thought I walked straight. I tried to walk straight. I tried, to, what is it about me that screams gay? Um, and I totally understand this yeah. uh, being a gay kid in the South in the 90s. Um, and so that's their story. And then we've also got the other two kids that are dating and I can't remember if Peter's family knows, but Neil is Asian American. And so like his, his mom and dad and little sister know he's dating Peter, but like, they don't like talk about it. It's like an open secret kind of thing. And so they actually start find out about the two boys kissing through the YouTube stream that Tariq sets up. Um, And so they start like, 
like watching it. Like they'll be playing video games and they have it on in the background. Like, (laughs) you know, what? it's just such a teen thing to do. Right. I'm watching the stream, but I'm also doing something else. Or like they get up every morning and they check to make sure like they're still kissing because they're just like, it's like this moment. And so it kind of like moves them. It moves Neil to do some things um, and to address some things. Uh, Avery and Ryan meet at a gay prom in like a little small town. Yeah, it's so cute. It's like I feel like it's a midwestern town. I read this really fast, so sometimes I, I forget to pick up context clues. But I feel like it's a midwestern kind of town, um, and like they have the gay prom, and so it's not just that little town. The towns from outside of it have like the GSA network like went out and like said, "Hey, there's a gay prom going on." So these kids are coming in from like 30, 40, 50 miles away, um, and so. Avery and Ryan see each other across the dance floor and their eyes meet and that's it. Um, and so it's them <laughs> trying to figure out how to have a relationship. Avery is also trans mask. Um, so he's a little anxious because he's not sure if he should tell Ryan about it. Ryan is so great when he finds out. He's like, okay, that's cool. Um, like, because they both understand trying to find your own truth. And Ryan's family is not super supportive, but he has an aunt that kind of like is the supportive family. Like, when Avery comes to town for their first date, he can't pick Ryan up at Ryan's house because Ryan can't have anything. And his whole thing is he's like, I'm just going to get out of here. And like when I'm 18, I go to college, I leave, I don't come back, um, which is super relatable for a lot of teens, whether you're gay or not. Sometimes you just want out. Um, yeah. And then Cooper is the saddest story of all. He's very internalized. He kind of hates himself. He's been chatting um, on online dating sites with gay men and his dad finds out. And does not take it well. Um, he has a lot of internalized homophobia. He ends up running away. So you get Cooper's story of like running away and like what's going to happen with him. And he hates himself. He doesn't feel things anymore. Um, and interwoven through this, like Avery and Ryan don't find out about uh, words, words, Harry and Craig's kissing, but Avery does hear homophobic talk on the radio with like a, like a morning shock jock talking about it. And so of course you hear all the things that you, that are not positive and not great. Um, and so Avery just has like a knee jerk reaction to it, but he never actually finds out like what they're talking about. He just kind of flips the channel. Um, and then Cooper, I don't think ever finds out about the, about um, Harry and Greg trying to break the, break the world record. Um, and the whole reason they're breaking the whole record to bring that back around, they just want to show that two boys kissing is like not a big deal. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> like, and the, the funny thing that happens is, like, people, because they are kissing in front of their school, and they have okay. teachers that are, like, helping them out with it, and because they have to stand there, they can't take bathroom breaks, they can't eat, they can't do anything, they cannot, like, there's a, a whole bunch of rules, like, they can only, they can hold each other up, but they cannot have other people try and help them, so it's like the people can hand them things, but they can't, um actually like try and support them physically if that makes any sense um at one point like it gets hot and so there's like an umbrella above them that somebody can hold (laughs) um but like yeah so there's all this thing and Tariq has um like all the sound equipment out and like whatnot and video equipment and they're streaming it from a couple different angles on a youtube channel oh it's super cute at one point because like they realize the lights they have aren't great and the drama kids are like oh we can help with this because they have play <laughs> practice. And so they come and get all the lights and they help set everything up. And like, you have people that are supporting Harry's family's out there the whole time. That kind of their mom and dad are taking shifts. Um, 
And like, you know, they have other people that are bringing like coffee and energy drinks and stuff, and they're all supporting each other. And so it starts off as a small group. Of course, it grows over time. And there are some people that are just like, what is going on? And they kind of stare at them. But like, and <laughs> David Levinson makes the point of like, but, you know, how long can you really watch two boys kissing? And they just kind of keep walking their dog or whatever. Like, it's <laughs> that's the whole point, right? And there are some haters that show up and, and some stuff happens. But then much like... Um, much like it reminded me because like he definitely took a lot of stuff from like real life because like this story is actually inspired by two boys that did break the Guinness World Book of Record doing this at their college. Um, and then Cooper's story is kind of inspired by a kid that did jump off a bridge. Um, so but not the same thing. He just took the events and kind of ran with yeah. it and made his own story. Um, but yeah, so with that, um, had a point. Oh, yeah. The the. Um, everybody that's supporting Harry and Craig end up circling them. And it reminded me of um, the angels that showed up at Matthew Shepard's funeral to block out the Westboro Baptist church. Um, if you don't know about that, you should Google Matthew Shepard and find out more about him and his horrible murder. And also all of the good that came out of that, unfortunately, uh, sometimes bad situations are not great, but we get positive change because of that. Um, and so yeah, so it reminded me a lot of that. Like, he did really, he did a really good job. I mean, I just, I love his books anyway. Like I, whether it's Dash and Lily or Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or like Boy Meets Boy, like he cannot write a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do disagree with the SLJ reviewer who said that the Greek chorus was heavy-handed, and I was like, have you not worked with teenagers? Um, <laughs> also, love drama. Uh, yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of gay teens don't always understand anything about the, the AIDS epidemic and how mm-hmm. just a whole generation of gay men and also trans women were completely obliterated by this disease um, and nobody cared politically. Uh, I often see a lot of parallels between what's going on now with our current pandemic to the AIDS epidemic. And they're not complete parallels. Like I don't want to give a false equivalency, but there are some things you can kind of be like, oh, yeah. Um, when it comes to when we take something and we politicize it, as opposed to looking at the human element of it, because, you know, we're all people. It's a thing. Um, so, yeah. So, like, like for example, um, the Greek chorus has this really good paragraph when they talk about um, kissing. And it's like, we knew the private power of our kisses. Then came the first time we were witnesses. The first time we saw it happen out in the open. For some of us, it was before we ourselves had ever been kissed. We fled our towns, came to the city, and there on the streets, we saw two boys kissing for the first time. And the power now was the power of possibility. Over time, it wasn't just on the street or in the clubs or parties we threw. It was in the newspaper, on television, in movies. Every time we saw two boys kissing like that, the power grew. And now, oh, now, there are millions of kisses to be seen and millions of kisses only a click away. And we are not talking about sex. We are talking about seeing two boys who love one another, kiss one another. That has so much more power than sex. And even if, as it becomes commonplace, the power is still there. Every time two boys kiss, it opens up the world a little bit more. Your world, the world we left, the world we left you. This is the power of a kiss. It does not have the power to kill you, but it has the power to bring you to life. How do you not love this book? <laughs> um, but yeah, and so he does this. He, he's able to find the magic in a really simple thing. And so, you know, Harry and Craig, there's no, they love each other in a friendship kind of way because they were boyfriends, but they don't, this kiss is not about love. This kiss is about like power and standing up. So yes, this is why I love this book. 
So, and I just love it how you have these like little narratives from other kids woven into it. So that's not one, this isn't the only way to be a gay kid. There's several different experiences represented here. So what do y'all think? My, my, my little classicist hearts loves the, um, the chorus because like, yes, it moves the story along. It reminds you of where you are. It sets the pace and it's this beautiful moment where, yeah, we lost an entire generation of, of, of gays to the HIV epidemic and nobody cared and nobody, um, no, yeah, nobody cared. It was this horrible, tragic thing. And here is this beautiful thing of these kids finding out their sexualities and exploring it and like either ha- struggling through it and they want to be there and they want to want to support them and they can't because they're not there but society has changed enough for them to be more more accepted than they would have been if it if uh, the generation before and i think that's beautiful i love it i think <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of, I'm feeling a lot of feels. It feels happen. Um, it happened. No, it, I just keep thinking back to when I started as a bookseller in like 2005 and we had teen, and I worked with teens fiction, not teens, but teen fiction and teen fantasy. And it felt like there was, oh, if you even had an LGBTQ book, it wasn't even that. It was like, this is a, this is a gay book. Like the, this, this is the one gay book you get, or this is the other one you get. And, and the fact that there's the cover has two boys kissing on it. It's just, it's not a hidden, we're not hiding the fact that it's gay. It's right out there front and center. It, you know, it's such a bold thing. It's, it's not like it was a specialty not a novel that only went to certain places. It was in a Barnes and Noble, you know, and, and yeah. I don't remember customers' reactions because it was a bookstore, so I wouldn't always see the same people for the same books. But it makes me think of, without this book and a million other books, you wouldn't have this wonderful like five, six year trend or it's been growing of so many LGBT LGBTQIA plus books with so much different representation. And I love looking at my new fiction and seeing that, Oh, this is like a trans kid falling in love with this other kid. And they're questioning this. It's kind of middle grade. And this is a book that kind of paved ways. And yeah, it has been banned and challenged and it's been taking a lot of hits, but it's like, is it a grandfather of, LGBTQ books? I don't know. Is it that old? Or I think it's like the cool uncle. I think it's kind of cool <laughs> uncle because I think his boy meets boy is kind of the open point. Well, I don't know. Because like I read an interview that he did on Melinda Lowe's blog um, with her and she had some questions about the cover, uh, which was great. Uh, yeah. She was just like, are you worried about the cover being two boys kissing? Um, for kids, like, you know, there's the knee jerk reaction of, well, the gay kids won't be able to check it out because they won't be able to bring it home. He's like, here's the thing about this. Um, no, because what <laughs> happens that I have found when I've talked to my readers is that they have the, the girls they're friends with will check the book out and then give it to them because reading actually happens in a private space. Like we don't usually read in public. Right. Um, so these books are read in private spaces. So these kids will still find these books and some of them, their parents will check them out for them. So that way they don't have to get it. Like, and also the great thing about a hardback book, you can slip a different dust jacket on it and nobody will know the difference. (laughs) And he's like, so no, this book will find his way to people. Um, he also makes a mention of that, uh, Prior to this book, I would say the first generation of LGBTQI plus books were what you call the misery books. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. And so, like, I hate those books. Um, I mean, I do yeah. love The Miseducation of Cameron Post, but I feel like that was kind of published in between all that. And that book is actually more about grief 
and well, no, it also has a misery aspect to it because she gets sent to conversion camp. But like, it also is about grief because she loses her mom and dad and like her whole world changes. And I, I identify with that a little bit. So also I'm, I would have been the same age as Cameron when all that happened. Anyway, that, get digressing. My whole point being, we had all these like misery books, like uh, Rainbow Boys and um, I'm blanking on a couple of the other ones, but like they're, you know, coming out, it's painful, it's hard, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So when he talks about this one, he's like, it's like we're getting to a point where we can actually have some positivity because yeah. your life isn't always one thing. Um, and so one of the reasons I also love this cover too, not just two boys kissing, um, he reached out to like one of his, I think it was a fan or something that he knew through Facebook, um, who also was a senior in high school at the point in time and did photography. So this picture is actually of these kids' friends. Um, so mm-hmm. and that's kind of why I love it, because if, if it, they'd gone through the publisher, they would have used a photographer with models. These are okay. two average white boys, um, <laughs> right? So like there's nothing model-esque about them. It's just, it's so relatable. And I love that. Um also, I love that, like, you know, one of, like, the fans did it, too, and he was he was able to reach out to them. So, I, it's pretty freaking cool. Um, but, yeah, I don't, it's, I love this book. It is great. It just makes you happy. But, no, and I think LGBTQIA plus books can be about coming out. They move beyond. They can be about just living in joy. They can be about all multifacets of it. And I keep thinking about one former middle school nutmeg book from Connecticut forever ago, like better Nate than never is that it's not even that big a deal air quote. If as a casual reader, did you ever read that one, Mary? No, it looks super cute kids, middle grade. It's It's very funny. If you like like musicals, it's, it's just a kid from like Jenksburg, Pennsylvania. Like it sounds janky, like Jenksburg. And he just dreams of, auditioning for this brand new musical of E.T. in New York City. And he <laughs> runs away from home on a stinky bus. This is a middle grade, so everything happens nicely. This is not like a dark, adult, scary ending. So it's warning that, yeah, it's good. And at one point when he's in New York City, he sees like a club door, like slowly closing. And he just sees two boys kissing through the door. And that was a very quick moment that is acknowledged in the further books in the series that it was just kind of, oh, two boys can kiss like just a small moment like that which every time I you kept saying like two boys kissing I kept thinking of that moment of just like that that can happen that's something awakened in him that always felt wrong could maybe be right like just yeah there's so many moments like that well yeah it's like that middle grade that I read that we reviewed last year I cannot remember the name of about the kid that starts doing drag but he doesn't have a gay identity yet but he's just slowly exploring but like he sees his uncle doing drag and he's like I want to do this this is Yes, this is everything. Um, is it, it wasn't middle school as a drag. No, that's something. A something book. is a middle school. It's so and so. What's a person's name? I know, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. And I read it. Um, Where's case? I find it put it in the show notes. What was it? Yes. I know. Find it. Where's case? It's only in the show notes. I know. Librarians curse. <laughs> we have a million and seven books in our heads at all times. But the fact that we have multiple books that a middle grade that might be about kids and queer stuff that could be there is awesome because instead of just like there's one book and it's sad. Oh, Martin McLean, Middle School Queen. I took notes. Perfect. I had notes. <laughs> nice. This is why I have a fancy moleskin book um, with our sticker on it. We can send you a sticker. <laughs> we have stickers. I love collecting stickers. I actually, stickers. my little Nalgene bottle is not Nalgene, but like Library Freedom Project. Nice. We'll send you a book jam sticker. Yay. Um, mm, mm, mm. 
but yeah, so no, I think it's great to have these books, but I'm also really happy that um, we are much farther down the path with that too. And I think it's also one of those things we've talked about too, where like, it's kind of hard unless you're doing a fantastical world that does not, that is not our world. Like um, LGBT books are always going to have homophobia or microaggressions in them. Just like books about kids of color are always going to have microaggressions and racism in them because that's the mm-hmm. world we live. And it would be ridiculous not to address those things if we're talking about a realistic fiction. Um, so yeah, there definitely is some homophobic bullying that happens in this book, but I don't want to spoil it for you because the responses that are positive that come out of it are so good. <laughs> so. Oh, and um, the record they're trying to break is 32 hours and some change. That is a lot. Yes. I could not do it. I don't know if I could do like eight hours because they have to stand the whole entire time. Okay. Uh, I was going to say you can't sit. I also had questions about like bathroom, no bathroom breaks and like how can you kiss and eat drink? But uh, you know what? If I want to know, I'll find out. I'll read the book. Well, I can tell you the answer to that. They have okay. like um, people will hand them energy drinks or like shakes or something like protein shakes and they'll have like a straw. And so like Gosh. their lips will still be touching, okay. but they have to kind of like figure it out. <laughs> so they okay. also talk about how like there's coordinated shuffling. One of the things I do love, I forgot to mention about this. Uh, Tariq makes a playlist for the whole 32 hours. That's a lot. <laughs> and he puts like he puts like gay club jams once it gets dark when they knew they would be tired. So like there's like Madonna and Lady Gaga and like Kylie Minogue and like it's great. And one of the other things I love about this book is that one of their teachers actually survived the AIDS epidemic, but they don't know that. But the Greek chorus does because um, they talk about like oh yes, he came to our hospital beds and held our hands. He helped us with that with so many things. We love him. We are so glad. So he's kind of like the little chain that connects both of them together and the kids will never know. Um, but so he comes out to support them. And at one point his husband comes over and like, it's just like, it's so good. So yeah. So it's just got a lot of like great positivity. I mean, there are some hard situations that happen in this book, but I think it all has a good resolve. Good. Cool. Sam, would you like to talk about your book? I It's crazy because I'm like listening to all these books and I'm like, oh my gosh, I absolutely forgot about this other book that I absolutely loved. And um, I know I said I was going to talk about um, Dear Martin, which was wonderful and like still a great book by Nick Stone. But um, now I want to talk about Speak by uh, Lori Hall Sanderson. Do it. And um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, let's see, like I'm trying to remember about this book. So this is, I have the wrong information, of course, because this is the graphic oh, novel. Graphic novel. Yeah, I'm looking at the graphic novel stuff. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. But um, it's is cool. It Lori, is it Lori Halsey Anderson? Lori, Lori Hals. Lori Hals Anderson. Yeah. And don't worry, we can clean this up and cut it. Oh, if you do want not to worry like, about this. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. I love you all. Thank you for letting me throw this curveball but Great. yeah so speak by Lori Halls um Halls Anderson um it was first published in October of 1999 it goes way back um and so uh content warning um there is a uh, there is talk about an assault um mental illness um body shaming um it's all in here um and so the little blurb is uh, from the first moment of her freshman year at Meriwether High, Melinda knows this is a big fat lie, part of the nonsense of high school. She is friendless, outcast, because she busted an end of 
end of summer party by calling the cops so now nobody will talk to her, let alone listen to her. As time passes, she becomes increasingly isolated and practically stops talking altogether. Only her art class offers any solace, and it is through her work on an art project that that she is finally able to face what really happened at that terrible party. She was raped by an upperclassman, a guy who still attends Merriweather and is still a threat to her. Her healing process has just begun when she has another violent encounter with him. But this time, Melinda fights back, refuses to be silent, and thereby achieves a measure of vindication. Now, this is one of those classic old band books. And Every time it gets banned, I feel they have a worse reason for it. Um, and my gosh, Melinda is this like character I just read and wanted to hug constantly because this girl is going through something and she's healing. And yeah, um, without giving too much away, she's at this party and she's celebrating the end of the end of the summer. She's there with her best friend. And something happens to her and she calls the cops because that's what you do when something bad and awful happens to you. And instead of this best friend being by her side saying like, what happened? What's wrong? Can I help you? Um, She immediately cuts her off and decides, no, like you ruined this party. Everyone was having a great time. A bunch of people got arrested and you don't even know why you call the cops. So it's this uh, like awful thing about like female friendships, um, especially in adolescence. That's awful to watch because as a woman now, I'm like, no, like my first instinct is like, no, my girl's in trouble. I need to go take care of her. Legit. And yeah. and yeah. And um poor Melinda did not have that. Instead she goes through high school and um she's very well obvious to me as an older reader because I came to this book um in my uh in my twenties instead of like as a teen. Um and by then it already had this like great reputation as this awesome book. Um as in my twenties reading it, it was like this girl is traumatized and you see it in the book and you see this um, the, like very subtle moments where like she's wearing baggier clothing. She's decided not to like wash her hair as often. She's not wearing makeup. Um, she realized that like first her bag, first she's wearing baggy clothes and then she gains weight and she has this awful moment when she's shopping with her mother and her mother's like, why'd you gain on this weight? This isn't going to make you look attractive. And her coping mechanism was to not conform to these subconsciously, I think, but like not conform to these ideas about her, about how to make her body presentable and um, uh, for consumption, for uh, the outside world that this is her way of owning her body and um this uh she go- she has this beautiful art class and this art teacher who's trying to like doesn't know what's going on with her but knows that she's going through something and says yeah go go do your art thing it might be weird but like if this makes you happy absolutely go through it and there's this beautiful scene and hilarious scene to me where she decides like you know what the chicken wings from the fried chicken dinner, I'm going to use and incorporate into this art piece. And it's one of those like really bizarre moments that like 
makes sense to Melinda and then you see it on the page and it's like, okay, yeah, not how I would go through it, but go on. Let's, let's see where this goes. And she slowly starts um, without interference from adults, just sort of starts healing and starts reclaiming herself. Um, the title is really significant because at some point she decides to speak less that um, she was penalized socially um, in high school for calling the cops for trying to speak out and then couldn't do it. And so she decides to like talk less and less. And it's this great um, allegory about like women's voices and how they're shut down or not, or um, how do we help other women use their voices? And it's, it's this wonderful book. It gets challenged all the time and I hate it but it's a great way to talk about um, women in society. It's a great way to talk about the Me Too movement. It's a great way to talk about intersectionality. It's all there. It's for everyone. Um, and I, I think originally it was rated for like grades nine and up. I think I would probably leave it at grades nine and up. Um, but the Me Too movement has uh, no age barrier. So if a middle schooler were to find it, um, it'd be great for them as well. I ran out of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so I actually have not read the book. I've read the graphic novel, which was mm -hmm. amazing. Because like the mm -hmm. tree the tree grows throughout the book and it's just amazing. Yeah. And it's this beautiful imagery of this tree, right? That like this tree was like the only witness to the thing that happened to her. And like the images of the book is always like this tree either. Like the I remember like the old image, it was um, like this tree and this woman's face and her lips. And it looks like the tree is trying to like stop her from speaking and like that's not the case it was this like it, like later on you read in the book and it's like sort of like this tree is trying to protect her until she's ready to speak uh, or like shield her from what's happening to her instead um and let her heal before she decides to speak um but yeah it's this um book and like it gets banned because it does have assault in it and um and like reason why it gets banned for having a soul is like nonsense. Like, oh no, we never want children to know about this. Um, but hmm. you kind of want children to know what consent is and you can't show what consent is without showing what consent isn't. And yeah, I, I, I so love this book. It's an older one. It's still relevant. It's so relevant now. Um, yeah. I love that this book has been out for so long and that she's even had time. Well, she's dealt with tons of censorship issues um, that uh -huh. she's even written another book, a memoir called shout. So it's like, it's from uh -huh. speak to shout. And that uh -huh. one is a memoir in verse about surviving sexual assault at the age of 13 um, and a manifesto for the me too movement. So it's almost like she wrote this. At a, I mean, it was needed and she wrote uh -huh. it and people are like, we don't want to hear it. We don't like it. Looking at the Goodreads reviews, you see either like great five stars or you see like one or two stars. Not for me. I guess it's important and stuff that this book is out there, but not for me, <sighs> which is hard. Um, yeah, it's hard to see that. I mean, I'm not saying it's an easy read, but yeah, it's a weird thing to say. Like, I'm glad this book is out there. Like, I hated reading it, but I'm glad it's out there. But certain people need this book. Like. Mm -hmm. in, in all the different books, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's, you know, 
Black Lives Matter or just seeing someone that is like you or someone that is going through similar circumstances as you and having having a name for it, like having mm-hmm. being like, oh, this is wrong. And there's so many books, not just in teen, but in, in middle grade, which is semi-controversial for people is they're like, we can't have books that talk about like inappropriate touching. We can't have books about like uh, the ship we built by Lexi Bean. I think I had talked about that. Um, the previous episode about a trans kid in middle grade in 1990s. It's such based on the author's own story and they saved every penny so they could buy a balloon and like write letters and mail that letter off. And to, so someone might actually care because there's someone in their family doing inappropriate assault. And it's very, you have to handle it delicately. And I think it is. If, if, if you were someone that is going through this, you will see what is mirrored to your own experience. If you're mm-hmm. a kid that has no idea, like I like ponies and sunshine, you know, it, might start opening up something of understanding that maybe you could recognize it in a friend or, or a similar situation. But these are the stories that need to have been told and they're not the newest books, but mm-hmm. the crazy thing is, is that their messages are all so relevant to today and things that are happening that it makes me so happy that we have them to start conversations, even though many people want to not have them on the shelf for the mm-hmm. teens that need them. Yeah. Like there's another middle grade that came out recently that I think would not have come out if speak had not been a thing. And also the Me Too movement, because the author is kind of an issue writer. And I think we find the issue writers in like intermediate and also like middle grade. By the time you get to YA, people are just writing books about whatever they want to write about. Yeah. It was an issue. Great. But there's usually more to it. Um, but Barbara D wrote, maybe he just likes you. Um, and I've read some of her other stuff I wasn't crazy about. But I read that one and I was like, oh, this is a really good book to talk about, like, simple issues of consent. Like, no, you should not put your hands on a girl just because you think you can because you're a boy. Um, And that's Uh like the tip of the iceberg. And it gets kind of into it. And they actually do kind of um, in that book. It was interesting. They do kind of a what's the word that I'm thinking about Uh, where you get them all together um, to talk about the issue. I can't remember the name of it. An intervention? It's not an intervention. It's like the thing is, is already restorative ha- justice. Yeah, so they kind of do like yeah. restorative justice light with the boys of like, why do you think you can do this? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a lot about that. And so I feel like we get the, like because of books that speak, we're able to have these conversations okay. now in middle grade where we should we actually should be having some of these conversations and like like very young. Um, yep. I know a lot of my friends have talked a lot about consent with their kids before they even got to kindergarten because like, no, yeah. if you don't want to be hugged by grandma, that's fine. Like your space is your space. Your body is your body. Um, you should be respectful of yourself and others. Um, so yeah. And I actually will say, I always write off graphic novel adaptations. I'm like, whatever. You do. It. <laughs> I do. We do. We don't have this problem. Speak is like one of the exceptions where I'm like, no, this is amazing. Everyone should like, if you are, have a, a reluctant reader, read this one because like the visuals are freaking amazing. I remember going to New York Comic-Con and I couldn't get into the panel for oh. librarians okay. for the year the graphic novel dropped because it was Laurie Halls Anderson and the graphic novel graphic novel illustrator and I can't remember their name at the top, off the top of my head um but like I was like oh can I get in and they're like oh no and I'm like can I stand in the back and they're like no fire codes and I was just like because they didn't have it in the Javits Center it was at New York Public oh oh uh, yeah it's hard it was- when they split I know. I hate it when they do that because um, it makes it hard. Uh, I did get into Marjorie Liu's panel the next year for Monstrous. That was good. Oh, yeah. She Yay. was wonderful on that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I, now I feel like I have a little regret about not getting there faster because I was like, dang it. Like, I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known. 
So, but yeah, this, yeah, like I, I love this book. So, yeah, I love it too. And you're right. Like, I do, I do the same thing. It's like, oh, do we really need a graphic novel interpretation of this? And it's like, no, yeah, we absolutely do. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It depends. Uh, like the graphic novel adaptation of Twilight is very bad. The graphic novel adaptation of Speak is very good. <laughs> We're not going to touch like it Twilight. Was, it was. I'm okay it was with Twilight. I don't like it, but at the same time, if teen girls are into it, man, go read that book and enjoy the crap out of it. Like yeah. we, society hates on things that teen girls like because society is often sexist in media. And like, if teen girl is super down with like Edward or Team Jacob, I don't care. Enjoy it. Like, enjoy your K-pop stands. Enjoy your new kids on the block if you're my age. Like, you know, Marissa, I'm sure you had 98 degrees in Backstreet no. Boys. No, oh, Actually, that's my generation. No, well, I know they were of my generation, but I was not a fan. I was also, I remember going to a friend's, I was too young for it, but a new Kids on the Block themed birthday party. And I was like, no, I do not want my goodie bag. I will give it to somebody else. Thank you. And I, I get very obstinate about things sometimes. And the same thing, I was like, oh, no, I am not a back. I don't know why I'm talking like this. No, I'm not a Backstreet Boys, nor an NSYNC, nor a 98 Degrees person. <laughs> I was very adamant about that. Wow. It just totally passed you by. Oh, it was there. And I was like, I was just like, no. Anyway, I could tell you about other things I was absent about, but that's not the focus of the show. But yeah. <laughs> totally. So has anyone heard any recent like challenges or bans? Oh, I have one. Ooh, what? So it's not a new book. It's a re-publication um, and it's um, it's Perfectly Normal by Roby Harris. So um, it came out with an update. Um, this was an awesome uh, children's books about um, human sexuality. Um, and it talked about like the really awkward stuff about puberty that kids like don't know about because they're kids. And then suddenly like, like here's this terrifying thing that's going to happen to you that like you're going to hear horror stories about, but that's what it means to grow up and go to adulthood. And this book came out in let's see, 1994. It's gone through quite a few different reissues. Um, its most recent update came out, I want to say this year, might have been last year, but it's expanded. Um, it's It talks about bodies, it talks about sex, it talks about sexual health, um, but now it includes um, the LGBTQIA community mm-hmm. and um, trans information, and it's beautiful, um, and it's getting challenged. And it is, and that's depressing. I mean, it is the text that uh, most state uh, education departments are basing um, sexual health education on for young children. And it routinely gets challenged and uh, it routinely gets banned. And um, because of this new uh, reissue with um, LGBTQIA information, um, it's getting challenged all over again. Good to know you're never too old to get challenged. Yeah, you're never too old to get challenged. But also, like, why, like, why would you stop young people from learning about their bodies and like knowing what's going to happen? Why is that upsetting to people? Um, because we would like to. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a lot, there's a lot of people who like to like keep children infantilized and. Mm-hmm that's for their comfort rather than for the benefit of a, the, the children. Yeah. Totally. So many things, Agreed. either materials or DVDs or whatever. It's like, 
no, this has violence. This has sex. This has profanity. My child or teen cannot read about this. And I'm like, do you know what they're saying in the real world? Um, Just, like, have you looked at who they're, who they're streaming on Twitch? Um, yeah. What's you on their YouTube playlist? Yeah. And it's, I mean, really bans and challenges are just a way to try and attempt control. Like you said, Sam, just trying, mm-hmm. I, I want to control you and I can't, I can't control you actually getting older, but I can possibly try and control what you read or consume. But that's not the only thing you read and consume though, because there's media and there's other things, but um, just that's how it's been for like even hundreds of years ago. They're like, you know what? You actually could squash the rebellion. If you're like, let's get all the written words or things and burn them. And now there's no history of it. I'm, and so there's nothing there, but now there's so many ways. And like the kids will find out information if it just helps them be more well-adjusted if you think you could be somewhere lgbtqia plus maybe you're ace maybe you think you like boys you like guys is it wrong no but you feel like it could be wrong until you find out it's like there's someone else like it's i'm whatever book is for whoever it is like i don't doubt they'll ever forget it that first time or that first ad they saw of two boys kissing or whatever it is it's just like this this can exist but that people want to exert that control over it and not let you have that self-identity because you're, you're my child. You're a small me. This Mm -hmm. is what it is. Or even just like with Harry Potter, problematic author, just talking about the book. Um, So many people have over the years I've been in this library have been like, Oh yeah, no, that's, that's a cult. That's witchcraft. We, (laughs) I don't give that to my child. And we move on. uh, uh, (laughs) We find other things, but that always throws me. um, Cause I'm like, you know, it's just like, for fun they're not like baby sacrifice whatever but yeah (laughs) yeah and to like add to your point i think i i think more about this because i've listened to a podcast called you're wrong about in which the um two journalists look at moral panics throughout the years and go through it and a lot of what they talk about is like bad journalism bad journalism gave Mm -hmm. people the wrong idea about this particular thing or something bad happened and we tried to find out why this happened and so we ascribed these things to it to like control the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of it, um, not all of them, because they talk about everything from like the Iran Contra to the Satanic Panic in the 80s to um, there's a whole bunch of them on like the OJ trial. There's one of them that's on like the Jim Jones massacre, uh, which was fascinating. Um, they did not actually drink Kool Aid, it was the generic uh, flavor aid. So <laughs> they couldn't even spring for a brand but, name. Yeah, they couldn't spring for a brand name when they were going to head towards. I, I forget what they were heading towards, but you should just listen to it because it's like way. It's there's. I learned so much more. I was like, oh wow, this is not as two dimensional as as pop culture has led me to believe. Uh, but a lot of things when they talk about these moral panics, especially it's like the youth culture. Like the there's like the olds are so afraid of the youngins, um, and like you know the kids today the satanic rock and roll music. And um, I just listened to their Columbine episode, and they were talking about like going through everything the media that these kids were like looking at and stuff, and it's like. Well, yeah, but you can't really say this equates to a kid going up and shooting at the school. Like, there's a whole other intersections of things that are happening here um, that didn't get caught, and so it's not it's not just one thing. And so, like, violent video games don't cause these things to happen because that's another thing people always want to ban uh, when any type of like school violence happens. And um, you know, it's you know, what are these kids reading? Are they reading like the what was it? There's a big like people were freaking out about the anarchist cookbook being so available on the internet after that. And like, um, yeah. So in what I'm trying to say is like people often like equate all these things. And like most kids are just trying to like get through the day and like play mm. their sport 
or do their clubs and like read their books and like get into their media. And like, they just, they're just trying to figure themselves out. Like they don't yeah. like it, people like adults will ascribe that kids have all this like direction um, for all of these, you know, all these things are going to happen if you let them have this media. And like, it really doesn't like, it's just, there's a lot of reasons why things happen And a book. is not going to make a child turn into the devil. Um, speaking of which, uh, my recent challenge I found out about there is um, a author we've actually talked about his book before. Uh, it's not the book that we talked about. It's a different one. Lev Rosen, his book Jack of Hearts is being challenged in Texas. Um, there is someone that uh, apparently it's like an evangelical community um, mm-hmm. and it's just really after this public library for anything that's LGBT related to. Like they were mad about drag queen story times, even though the public library didn't do a drag queen story time. Um, Okay. Playing before one even ever possibly happened. I don't know if the library ever had like ideas about doing one or what. They had some pride displays up as a lot of us do <laughs> during the month yeah. of June. Yes. Uh, so another, she got wind of this book and has y'all heard about Jack of Hearts? Yes. I have not, unfortunately. Great writer. I like it. Reasons, he's a great writer. He kind of reminds me of Caleb Roaring as far as like the, the narrations always just like this fabulous escape away. Um, <laughs> he's very sassy. Um, which I am always here for because I want to see more narratives that are not like, you know, I'm gay, but I'm, I'm writing for the straight audience. Um, I want to see the nuances and like, I want to see boys that are more effeminate and boys that are masculine, but also super gay. Like, you know, it's like, there's a lot, like we contain multitudes in, you know, <laughs> all of us. So in Jack of Hearts, our main character is like the sex advice columnist. And I can't remember if it's, he has a blog or I don't think it's a school newspaper. And so he's answering all of these teen sex questions. And one of the things Lev Rosen's really good at as a YA writer is kind of what you were talking about earlier with Speak. Um, when you have books talking about consent, you can show the bad, but you can also show the good. He often shows the good or just like, you know, you should be worried about this with your boyfriend or whatnot. And like, oh, this actually works like this. And like people have questions and he's answering them. So of course, this book is totally gonna get like targeted uh, by anybody who has more who's into like purity culture and probably has more like conservative christian values um but yeah and so the library um so she, she did her challenge and they're like you can fill out the paperwork she didn't want to fill out the paperwork i think finally the person filled out the paperwork so it's been like this ongoing like thing and i feel like also social media has blown this up probably bigger than it needs to be um as we often see um and so then she took it to the i think the library board and then she took it to the town council um i don't think the library has actually ever removed the book because they're like no we have all kinds of books here we're not doing it it's not school library it's the Uh public library (laughs) yes yeah um she didn't get her way so now she's gone up to like a congressman Who's just like, the, why are we allowing pornography in, in, in public libraries? But it's never about pornography. It's no, never it's about pornography. Yeah. And it and it's like, okay, like you might be uncomfortable with this, but like you don't get to decide for everyone else. I mean, like we we write our policies. I'm like I'm, I'm policy nut. I want every library to have a very strong collection development policy that yeah. says, yeah, we're gonna have books that upset you. We're gonna have books that upset us. Um, but that's what you need to have a strong, sustainable democracy. These confluence. Uh, this confluence of ideas and contradictory ideas and let it be battled out in the sphere of public opinion. 
um, those, that sphere can happen in your head that yeah. this book is good and this book is bad, but that happens in your head and you leave it there. You don't force that upon anybody else. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Book Riot has a, has an article about it. If you want to read a little bit more, um, mm. talking about the challenge. And then, um, the only reason I found out it kind of like came back around again is because Lev Rosen on his Twitter was like, so just like, I'm so frustrated. Like, should I just stop writing books for a YA market? Like, and I was like, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I guarantee you so many like kids are going to read your book now because they're like, wait, this is getting banned. It has sex in yeah. it. I'm going to read it. Like, it's, and that's not what the book's really about. So, but uh, that, yeah. but it works. I mean, I yeah. went to the Goodreads and I have to say the first two sentences of the book review from the publisher is my first time getting it in the butt was kind of weird. I think it's going to be weird for everyone's first time though, which is a line from his like advice column thing. So I was like, so many kids are going to be like, Oh my God, I have to read this book now. So again, it's, it's advertising. It's putting the name out there that maybe they would never have heard about Jack of all trades. And now they're like, I must read this book by five copies. Right. And like when I reviewed his other book, one of the things I talked about is like we don't actually see accurate depictions of LGBTQIA plus sex. Um, I know, yes, people are really like, you included A in there. I'm like, yes, I did, because some asexuals are do have sex. <laughs> um, and some of them are sex repulsed. There's like nuances in asexuality, y'all. Um, so yeah, like, but it's it's like positive consensual sex and like what it looks like and like having conversations before you make that choice for yourself and the other person like that you're going into it together. So like, OMG, we have a whole book about consensual sex for teenagers. And also if like you look at a review, it's going to tell you, Oh, this is probably for grades 10 and up. Cool. So, cause we're probably doing it anyway. So. I'm so looking forward to reading this book because it does like it, to my mind, it does this really weird meta thing where like, school newspapers are this like weird thing that like has like free speech as it's like core value that these kids are like practicing free speech that they're they have the newspaper they're writing these stories and <laughs> and then like school districts will be like you can't put that story out and it's like no. but no no you're tell you're raising and teaching these kids to become functionally members of society and democracy so you give them like proto free speech and then you're going to take it away from them like what lesson are you trying to impart there so it's uh, like, still a lesson they're learning it, yeah it's still a lesson that they're learning and it, it's like what are you doing that you, you you just dangle this possibility of like freedom of speech and freedom of press and democracy and then you're taking it away from them because it's uncomfortable for you aren't you just undermining every lesson you've taught them about how this democracy works and how free speech works and the exchange of ideas. And I, I want to see that interplay in this book now. <laughs> I need to, I need to get it in my hands. Yeah. And I can't it's remember if it's a school newspaper or if it's just his blog, but like, I yeah. can't, I can't remember because I said, I haven't read this book. It's just been on my ever long to be read list. Yeah. Um, it's but yeah. online sex advice column. So it seems like it's not part of the school paper, but yeah. yeah. Mm. And so, my, so I misspoke with that. My bad, but I do no feel like we've had other YA books that have had that theme of like school library or school newspaper that gets shut down by the administration. That's so. almost even a trope you could say. Oh, yeah, probably. If we were doing like yeah. a book bingo for like YA tropes, that would be Trope. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, school dress codes, too, would be one for girls. Uh, mm. Anyone read Boxy? Uh, and right. like, like other books. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sue, that is the whole thing. I had a point. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So it's really like what we're talking about. Everybody that wants to ban, it's like control. But really, you should be having those conversations because it's giving you a great mm-hmm. opening to have a conversation with your kid or the kids you're teaching or the kids in your, in your community, whether it be like your church group or like whatever social group you're into. Like conversations are so much better than like just shutting it down because then oh, yeah. that's just bad. Yeah. I forgot where you mentioned it earlier, Mary, but we're, I think we were talking about music because it reminds me, oh, the, um, the moral panic and, um, like the satanic panic and like music and the Columbine kids and what kind of media they were consuming. And they were looking at the music and they were looking at like, oh, Marilyn Manson is the problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That comes up in the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So it, and, and it's like, why do, are we so worried about like this microcosm of music? Because music is another thing that gets banned over and over again. Um, first it was like the lyrics and then like you have these, like you have television. And so the images of these artists are also like controversial. So like Elvis was never allowed to be filmed from like (laughs) his waist down down because his hips were too provocative. And then we get that like later on again in like music videos and like why some music videos were only played after like 10 o'clock on mm-hmm. MTV when MTV used to play music videos. And like you would keep seeing this. It's like what images are too um, sexualized or too controversial to be played normally and need to be censored and need to be covered up. And it, it's it's this really interesting um, dichotomy of like what lang- what speech is allowed here and like why isn't this allowed and like why is uh, like who gets to control this image especially when it comes to like women's nudity and why some songs are uh, controversial and others aren't if it's a male artist versus a female artist and uh, it's a it's a whole different not different ball game, but like it's a whole different media that we're talking with that people are concerned about. And they're like, yes, let's ban the music. It's not about the music. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's totally like a lot of it really comes down to policing bodies. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember when people were like so upset about gangster rap in the nineties when that's just like, a, the Wu-Tang Clan is amazing. So is Tupac. So is Biggie. Yep. Like, we don't have to do this Tupac versus Biggie. That's so 1991. They're both yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, and like Tupac and Biggie are allowed to say all these things, but then Little Kim says a bunch of stuff that's like also sexually explicit and everybody comes for her as a black woman. And I'm just like, yeah. why is it okay for Sir Mix-a-Lock to talk about liking big butts? But like Little yeah. Kim expressing her sexuality and like her prevalence is like, is a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, the first video that was actually uh, had a lot of problems with on MTV was Duran Duran's Girls on Film from the Planet Earth album uh, mm-hmm. because it shows scantily clad women, which if we watch it today is like nothing. Like, like it's, it's normal. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those ones that had to be shown like after 11 and there was a question mm-hmm. about even banning it in some places and like Mm-hmm. What? There's a lot of pure, pearl clutching and a lot of like, but the children, yeah. when really like all through the books that we described can be seen as conversation starters to tackle tough topics, which is a way better way to handle these topics than, you know what, the way we're going to deal with is shove it way deep down. We're not going to talk about it. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. This is, this is all an opportunity. So one thing I will say is for Band Books Week, hopefully you heard about at least one book you might want to read, maybe two, maybe three to add to your ever growing to be read pile. I know I just added two to mine, um, <laughs> is to read a band or challenge book. 
maybe one of these. It's just something that it's going to start a conversation, have a conversation, because that's the point. Challenge the ideas, be questionable, go outside your reading comfort zone. It's, it's all towards the good, because nothing changes if we stay silent. Nothing changes if we don't do anything. And kudos to the authors for writing about tough topics, all different tough topics in their own unique formats and dealing with challenges and censorship. It's not easy. I remember visiting um, the Beinecke Rare Books um, library at Yale and going through Judy Bloom's uh, awesome papers. Everyone should do it. It was pre-pandemic. I went for the weird folder. There was a folder of like the weird letters she got. It's my favorite. I visited it twice now. Um, I was going to go back and visit this collection again more, but then pandemic hit. But literally one of the other folders that there was a letter in there of a different folder that said, you know, your books have been so censored and challenged in bands. If you could go back and do it again, would you write this book? And she's like, you know, no, which is the saddest answer. <gasps> yes. Really? A, yeah. It is the <sighs> saddest answer. But, but the hope I take from that is we have so many authors willing to put such, mm. put their heart out there, put things that have their experience in there. Like with Lori Hall Anderson, like surviving sexual assault or, you know, dealing with homophobia on every day and like the microaggressions and the psychological torment and of, of just being like, am I going to die today for buying, going to the bodega? For a black person just walking to the street, like putting that out there to try and help teens, adults, whomever, like start the conversation. Because if we do nothing, nothing happens. So that's where I find a lot of hope. I, it may be very sad to read that thing about Judy Bloom, but but I find that I think a lot of authors today in the climate that we have, they're, they'd find so much more support. They have a lot of hatred, but there's so much more support for them for coming out. Well, and it ties really nicely to the theme of Banned Books Week this this year, right? Mm-hmm. That books unite us, censorship divides us, and that in reading these books, we are we unite with people, um, with other readers, even if we don't actually meet them and know who they are. We are united to uh, other characters and their experiences and that the authenticity of that. Whereas like, if we don't ever read that, we're shutting ourselves off to these experiences and these communities and these stories that are so important to hear about, even if they're not our own stories. Um, yeah, books absolutely unite us and censoring them absolutely divides us. It doesn't, um, make us a richer society. It doesn't make us, um, it doesn't give us a richer experience of our lives. Books absolutely unite, unite us. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> Mike, drop. Um, <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Book Jam today. Like, this has been great. And I hope our listeners uh, know a little bit more about why books get banned and challenged and also seek some information for themselves. Um, and you have been so great and informative and lovely. And we would love to have you back anytime you want to come. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to come back. Yeah, like, totally. oh, it's possible. We would love to. I have to read more YA now. Oh, yeah. The great thing structure. About, yeah. And the great thing about YA is like kind of what Marissa was getting into. Like, I always feel like there's this is going to sound like really terrible. But like, I'm not hating on adult books, but like YA just takes a lot of those tropes and twists them in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so you get like these weird nuances and some books are kind of like, boom, 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 like very obvious. And then some books are like, yeah, we're going to take this trip that you like, oh, you think this is going to happen and we're going to twist it. Or we're going to have these bigger, open, more nuanced conversations like in all American Mm -hmm. boys um, or speak. So Mm -hmm. I love it. 
There's so many fun things happening. So thank you so much, Sam. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Book Jam. You just got jammed. You just got jammed. That's my favorite part. (laughs)